Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Sam Matterface, and today myself and Simon discussed the Manchester United takeover and whether it will be completed. We also chat about Mauricio Pochettino's Chelsea tenure as he prepares to face the media for the first time. Plus, I'll explain why I've been so impressed with Mikel Arteta. Sports on a Friday morning and it has been one month to the day since Manchester United received their latest offer for the club. Um, what's going on? Are they uh, using the, uh, the the old Jordan negotiating tactic here? What are they doing? Um, I think none of us really know what they're actually doing and exactly what their ultimate agenda is. I mean, obviously, the, the rain group were put into play a while ago after their successful uh, getting away of the Chelsea deal and a lot of what we've heard and a lot of what we've been party to has been supposition about what the Glazers want, how they want to do a deal and when they'll do a deal and how different factions within the Glazer uh, family want to stay or some want to go and everyone's ready to look at it in different ways. I've always maintained that they will sell the football club when they get precisely and concisely what they want. Now, I'm not clear what that is um, and neither is anybody else. Um, We're led to believe at one point it was six billion dollars we're now being led to believe that the Qataris have offered six billion pounds this is Sheikh Jassim so you're in a situation where and there's always been doubts on their part I spoke to one of their guys about three or four months ago one of their UK based PR guys that was trying to make sure the messaging of what they wanted to have out there was communicated in a certain way which whilst I was happy to listen to I'm not their mouthpiece um, and they had reservations from the outset that there was an element of genuity about whether the Glazers were actually going to sell. I, I think they will sell, but I think it, it will be based upon a whole raft of structuring. This is a, this is this is quite a big deal on a number of fronts because ultimately the structuring of the deal, the nature of the fact that it's got to be delisted from the New York Stock Exchange, and a whole raft of other considerations will be put into play to make sure the deal facilitates an outcome that is concisely what the Glazers want. And all of that takes a period of time. When you know, when we saw Elon Musk trying to buy Twitter or attempting to buy Twitter and being obligated to buy Twitter, and the period of time that that took to achieve, okay, the quantums of money were different, but notwithstanding that, we're still in the billions and a billion and billions of dollars or pounds takeovers 
are convoluted and complicated and take a passage of time. Of course, it's like every day that this doesn't happen to certain sections of the Manchester United fan base feels like six months. Um, and, of course, you'll have social media videos put out by people like Rio Ferdinand perpetuating myths that he's heard the deal is being done today. And then there's the then there's a sentiment of how much impact this will have on what Manchester United are prepared to spend. And I've always kind of half-maintained that Man United is a going concern and that a going concern needs to be able to maintain itself irrespective of whether it's in sale process or it's been sold or it's being uh, or it's removing itself from the sale process. So I would fully but They expect- are cutting their cough accordingly, aren't they? Well, I mean- they've just spent £55 million on Mason Mount yeah. and making people work hard on transfer deals should be a staple diet of any football club rather than just throwing cash around because we, the... We just are- heard Stephen News say that, that Rasmus Hoyland seems to be the most affordable option to fill their number nine vacancy. Um, affordable option or best option depends how you want to characterise things we, we, we will characterise things because it and, it and it sounds like I'm always on the back of the media whilst being in it but we will characterise things that gets the most division into the conversation Right? he may well be because they want that particular player and as a result of it they're prepared to spend a certain amount of money on it and if they go and buy the goalkeeper uh, for 38 million quid that they're looking at. Oh, all no, of a sudden, yeah. they buy the centre forward, they buy Mason Mount, they buy the goalkeeper. All of a sudden, they're up to 130, 140 million quid. And that's what, before we've even got into August. And if you look at those sort of transactions, it goes to the territory. The argument will be, and this is an intangible argument because we'll never know until the ownership model changes. Well, if the ownership model had changed, they'd have spent 500 million quid. We'll not know that. We'll have no evidence of that. But whatever you don't have... And that might not necessarily be the best thing in the world because we've seen Chelsea spend that much money and it hasn't exactly worked out for them just yet. Well, precisely. And the arguments about the Glazers and what they do and don't do, and I have no particular care or regard for them... But there's a commercial reality about the nature of who owns your football club and what you can. They're playing the game here, though, aren't they? I mean, this has been going on a long time. And it's interesting. I looked up the graph of their share price um, yep. and how it's changed over the course of the last year, yep. and it's a significant increase. In fact, it's doubled since they announced that they were selling. It's gone from thirteen dollars a share to twenty six point six four dollars a share at its at its highest yeah, point. Yeah, but, but that kind of it's kind of academic, really, Why? Sam, because their market cap on that basis will be three billion. Right? And they're not selling it for three billion. They're selling it for six. So there's an element of I understand what you're saying, which is if there is no interest in selling it, then they've 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 jigged the market to increase the market value on their own shareholding and possibly some dividends off the back of it. But we're talking about a business that had spikes when they bought Ronaldo in, had big spike. Their share price went, I think, from thirteen dollars back up to nineteen, twenty dollars. And of course, the market value of a, of a business and the inherent value of a business has been eight months now of a doubling of the price. Yeah, and that's fine. But still, again, if you're if you're if you're looking at the basis of the stock price, look at the market cap that that brings. Okay, but you mentioned something there about dividends. Explain to me why they would benefit from that. Well, because ultimately, the more valuable the business is, the more they may be prepared to pay themselves in dividends, and the more dividends they may receive as a result of it, because ultimately, a business's, profit, a business's value is determined by two things. It's underlying profitability, it's underlying position per se, and ultimately, it's share price. So do you think this is working in their favour? I think that they have uh, a, a desire to achieve an outcome at Man United, which is specific and explicit to them. Um, and I think they're in that space now. Now, we don't know. What we do know is that each one of the bids have been tabled in a certain way. We don't know the complexities, the vagaries, the nature of how these deals are being structured in order to understand why there may be a 
a delay or some prevarication or some complications and why the Qataris aren't being communicated with. There's lots of other issues around this deal because... I'm sorry, um, I know this is not going to be a particularly popular observation and it, may, it may, may put me in the way of some crosshairs, but most of the money that comes from Qatari is nation-state-backed. Irrespective of this individual suggesting that they aren't, there needs to be clear and concise understanding of the nature of this bid doesn't have that, given that the Premier League have just come out with some ridiculous half-baked, half-arsed statement that they're not going to have nation-states owning football clubs mm. anymore when they've already got nation-states owning football clubs, as a matter of course, except they didn't accept the fact that they were because they, they accept some cockamamie idea that Newcastle was being bought by a sovereign wealth fund that was nothing to do with the nation-state, although its very existence is to fund the nation-state. But the bottom line is is that there's lots more complications to this. And my, my overriding sort of outlook is... How much will it impact upon Manchester United's ability to be able to compete during the process of a sell being concluded or a sell not being concluded? I've always maintained the argument that they'll still spend a couple of hundred million quid in this marketplace. Don't forget, they've got to keep half an eye on financial fair play. They've got to balance their books. They, they, they don't, they're not going to go down the route. They're an established football club that's not going to go down the route of perhaps doing some of the things that Chelsea have done um, and, and, and not going to go down that particular perspective. But there will be an argument from those that sit in a particularly entranced point of view that the Glazers must go at any cost. Yeah, right? well, that certainly is the view of that most of the would, Manchester that, United fans. They, well, yes, and listen, that's their view. It's their football club. They can have whatever view they want, right? Whether they can affect an outcome. My my point was is that they will say, well, it's all well and good you saying that, Simon, but when a business is being sold, it doesn't do the same things. Well, I've owned businesses and I've been selling businesses and I invested just just as much money during the six-month period it took me to sell a business for a couple of hundred or a hundred-odd million quid to be able to make sure that the business was still a going concern when I sold it because I was giving people certain warranties, certain asset values, certain perspectives. So the last thing I wanted to do was make sure the business dropped off the edge of a cliff. And Manchester United's going concern mentality is that they need to be a competitive team inside the Premier League. So I would imagine, but there'll, there'll be this intangible argument which is, no, 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 the new guys would come in and spend 400 million quid. Well, they may well do because especially if they if they put for example but, shape uh, just seen bin hamid el tani's probably got money coming out of his but ears but he may well have but he's still got to abide by the principles of how football clubs are being targeted to be run you're, you're right on the cusp now of a new yeah. generation of, of of cost controls being brought into football with 90% of turnover and transfer depreciation being reduced to 70% in the next 18 yeah. months so let's have it right Everyone's get, going to be restricted. Get the glazers out, by all means. You know, scream, shout and hollow as much as you want because you dislike them intensely. But the reality of it is is that United will still trade and still be one of the most prolific purchasers of players during the course of this summer. They'll still be up there with everybody else. It's interesting to hear from Sir Jim Radcliffe, who says he is still in the race for it, believing that the special club is like rare art and his bid is just what it needs. He says, we're not doing it for the money. Um, at the end of the day... Uh, we will spend, uh, but it will appreciate in value over time because it is one of those rare things that they don't... It was almost like he said, they don't make them like this they anymore. They don't. Um, There's a uniqueness about Manchester United. You know, I often make this comparison, and again, it's a comparison that certain sections of Manchester don't like. You've got two versions of a fine particular motor car you've got or motor or, or team you've got Red Bull over at Manchester City and you've got Ferrari at Man United and if Man United get their engine engine started again irrespective of the strength power and the achievements of Man City Man United are an iconic brand and Manchester City are trying to become one 
Mm. There's a big difference. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Later on, capturing the attention of the uh, the world's media for the first time will be Maurizio Pochettino. Last week we said uh, um, that he was... Uh, well, last week he said uh, that uh, he was going to uh, take over a club that were the best over the course of the last 15 years in this country. You said that if you want a whiff of success... Go to Harrods um, because he will give you a whiff of success, yeah. but no substantial success. What does he have to do to give Chelsea substantial success this year? Win something. I mean, the challenge that he's got is he's picking up a side. It's a good challenge. It's a challenge where uh, ultimately I think they've reached the bottom now and you can only bounce when you've reached the bottom. I think their season last year went from bad to worse for a variety of reasons, from some of the decisions that were made through to the culture inside the football club, through to the learning curve of certain serious and significant individuals in the club, to through to their failure to address the fact they took a punt on Graham Potter and then they didn't replace him with anyone of any substance to get them to finish a season on a higher level, with due respect to Frank Lampard. Now, they've gone after Pochettino, they've got Pochettino, Pochettino is going to raise the bar, He's going to raise the level. We're not going to see this malaise that existed last year, which the Chelsea players have become psychological cheats, where they can get away with just turning up for Chelsea rather than recognising the fact that they're playing for a club that arguably, over the last 20 years, has been one of the most successful clubs in the history of British sport. Uh, and we know how that was created. It was created by Abraham and Richard's money. We know what the outcome of that was. And we know that this is likely to come round again because Todd Bowley has shown a level of spend that, albeit in inflation terms, is probably commensurate to what uh, Bramovich spent in his first season or so. It still is quite jarring expenditure. He's got a guy in there that we know is a decent manager. And there's never been a, a proclamation for me that Mauricio Pochettino is not a good manager. People like to mischaracterise the observation that the difference between being a very good manager and a winner is a slight moment in time or an alchemy or a gene that some people have and some people do not. He will get Chelsea competing this season. But there is a difference between the Chelsea of today and the Chelsea of previous incarnations where winners have come in, whether it be Ancelotti or or whether it be whoever else, Mourinho in the first instance when Ranieri was bundled out the door relatively quickly into Bramovich's ownership. And on and on we go. And and they didn't muck about. They didn't muck about with Felipe Scaleri. When he came in, he couldn't cut the mustard out the door he went. Oh, very ruthless. Uh, And this instance... Pochettino is going to give an American... He's, he's, they're going to be able to work with him because he's a, he's a relatively affable and amiable fella. Yeah. So he's going to bring that spirit of relationship that clearly wasn't there with Tuchel. There was a clear disconnect in, in Tuchel's relationship with Bowley. Respect was at the centre of it, and I don't think Tuchel showed... Arguably, was Potter too subservient? I don't think Potter was ready for the job. And I think Potter wasn't ready for the job in a huge period of Chelsea's history where they were coming out of a sanction, change of ownership environment, change of culture. Out the door goes the established names. Peter Cech, Marina went as well, Bruce Buck goes, in comes a new regime, new mentality, new culture, wants to maintain the status quo in terms of being successful, but still has a different feel and look about it. You've got a respect issue between the, the owner and the manager, and that then breaks down. You bring in a new guy that looks on paper like somebody that can really manage good players and build a good ethic inside a football club, but does it with a lower level of footballer, with a club that has a lower level of expectation. You take that punt, you make that mistake, you don't change it. Now, Pochettino's here, and Pochettino will get you, like I said, if you it, he will get you a whiff of success. And I, the analogy I made the other day, if you, if you want a whiff of something, go to the perfume counter, counter at Harrods. If you want to win something, I'm not sure 
something of real significance like re-establishing Chelsea's claim on the Premier League or putting them in ability to win well, that's big European time, isn't it? Well, yeah, and I'm not sure that 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 with. With with Manchester City and I think again the ascension of United, I think we'll see a re-emergence of Liverpool. I think Newcastle are going to get better and better and better, and all of these mean that the difference for me between being able to get Chelsea back to the top of the pile is going to be in that dugout. And I don't think if you put Pochettino, it's not just in a dugout though, is it? I mean, it's actually on the playing surface. You need to have good players. Well, They've got nine departures. To the team he's taking fine, over is very different to the, the one that last The dugout season. drives that. The it dug, might do. The dugout will drive that. The dugout will drive the. You know, like we discussed Pep Guardiola, the inexhaustibility of his mentality of changing players the way that he wants them to play. But he's also got good, good players. Chelsea have lost a lot of experience. And fine, and we will assume that Pochettino is going to be given a reasonable, fair shake to be able to shape a squad commensurate with competing with the with the with the with the enemy on the other side of the of the equation, which might be Manchester United, it might be Manchester City, most certainly will be Manchester City. So he'll be given the like for like tools. The difference will be in recruitment selection what he does with them and what he adds and and that's where I look at Pochettino and go would I put you if I was sat on my, in a situation where I could have my utopian world and I also had a bit of adversity mixed in there would I put you in the same breath as Pochettino so as 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 Klopp as Guardiola and my answer would be probably no so that means to me how how are you going to eclipse them how are you going to how how are you going to be the one that makes Chelsea win leagues again if that's the brief that he's being given well, and if I, that's the question I'm answering well I, okay and I, and listen I, I I can I can see that he is definitely an upgrade and whether or not as you believe he's going to be the man to restore the success I think the first thing they've got to do is sort the squad out because they've let nine go they've got a midfield quartet at the moment which I've got to admit is a little bit worrying uh, Gallagher, Enzo Fernandez, um, uh, Andre Santos, and Chakani uh, Chuck Chukwumaker. Two young players in there. One player who they've been reported to might be selling, and of course their world record signing. They've got thirteen forwards and wingers in the squad. Two of the, two at least, or three of them they want to get rid of. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of young players in that squad as well. And I look at their defence, and I'm thinking, mm, I'm looking at the goalkeeping situation. I'm thinking it's not where I'd want it to be. In terms of the level of that squad, it's not... I mean, there's some good players in there, but it's not a great squad. It's not the kind of squad that won the Champions League two years ago. No. No, granted. But notwithstanding that, you'll build from that, won't you? You would hope to, but they spent a lot of money to get... Looking at the squad, bearing in mind the money they've spent and looking at that squad, I'm thinking to myself... And and there might have to be some some blunt conversations. I mean... then it's happened because it happened, and some people will say it's because the owner was too busy. Some people might say it's because the new the new manager that came in wasn't strong enough to express his views and didn't have the gravitas and the cachet to sit there as an elite manager saying, "That's lovely, chairman, but not for me, thank you." Mm. Sort of conversation that established managers might be able to have a little bit more of, and there might be a little bit of bloodletting that needs to go on. There not there might be a little bit of look owner, chairman, I'm really sorry but we've got a pup on our hands here and we we need to perhaps take Carcloth accordingly maybe move a few of these players out the ones that you've bought and you've paid top end money for aren't going to get you where you need to go and those conversations will be had over a period of time because right now what you've got is a relationship based upon, you've got a balance of power in the relationship which Pochettino probably has because he's been sought after by Chelsea he didn't necessarily seek Chelsea Chelsea sought him but now he's in the job, now he's got a situation where what he has asked for and it must have been significant 
because he's not short of a bob or two. He won't be short of an opportunity or two, Pochettino. And the Chelsea opportunity comes along and it's something, clearly there's an ailment, there's a, there's a need to fix it. So his power in the conversation with Bowley, within reason, given the fact that Bowley's the money, would have been quite significant. Mm. So Pochettino will be... The, the person that says to the owner, this is what I need, this is what I want, this is the building blocks I've got, this is how I'm going to change the direction of travel, this is what the outcomes are likely to be, and this is the timelines behind it. right? And for that, I need to cut this, I need to bring this, I need to change this, I need to finesse that. And you'll start to see that happen. And if you're, if you're a really good, effective leader, you can do these things at pace. You can make changes at pace. You can make people come with you at pace. The ineffective ones will, will go, well, as, an own, as, a, as a manager, I need time. The top draw guys can affect outcomes relatively quickly in the same way that Pep Guardiola, of course, he was building off a better platform, but he came in and changed the way Manchester City played. Yeah, well, you, I go back to the Jurgen Klopp situation in 2015 when he took over. The first game away at Tottenham Hotspur, they drew 0-0 that game. But... They played in a completely different way. Yeah. They, they, they played but with a higher take him, energy and press. And but it did it take them two or three years to get themselves together. Of course it did, but they together. had to change the personnel. And he was coming yeah. from a different base yeah. from Pep Guardiola in that circumstance but, 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 as well. But, but the financial model change immediately. But the financial model at Chelsea is different. It is. Because they're, they're, if, if Pochettino is now their champion and has got their ear he will be able to get them on point quicker about the economic decisions they may have to make, which the Henrys of the world didn't want to make because Liverpool is run on a very different premise is. than Chelsea. 100% engagement. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. We've talked about that, Gabriel Jesus, and, and the question I wanted to ask you was whether or not Arsenal are lacking mentality monsters and whether they need 
players. I mean, one of the big things was made out about Zinchenko coming in and, and adding that mm. mentality to them this this year. They didn't get over the line. Gabriel Jesus's comments maybe sort of raised a few eyebrows there. Is that what they need? They need some sort of injection of that winning mentality to get them to that next well, level. Well, yeah, I mean, mentality monsters was an expression that's been lifted from Jurgen Klopp. Yeah. It didn't play out very well for him last year, did it? Yeah, I think there's a fragilities and frailties at Arsenal, and I think that's um, to be expected because they are going through a curve of building a side that isn't acclimatised to winning certain things like the Premier League. So with that in mind, you build strength of mentality. You, you, uh, your natural position, if you're a, a top-end footballist, to get to a certain point, the manager and the environment that you're in brings that extra 5 or 10% that maybe you don't naturally have there from the outset. And by bringing in players like Declan Rice that haven't won anything at West Ham but have been very well, strong in the Conference League yeah the European Conference League with due respect to it yeah you're right to correct me that you know haven't won anything in terms of real significance like Premier Leagues or big domestic cups I understand the West Ham fans attach great do a value to the European Conference League so for the purpose of that I won't diminish it any further but I think he'll come in with a certain mentality I think Saliba has a certain mentality and him being back in the side will help them and, and, and encourage them to be stronger when adversity comes their way because there's no doubt in my mind the manager's got it I think I think he's got it to a point I think he's got it to a point and we'll see when it comes down now because he he is as much responsible for the decline it wasn't getting beat at, at the Etihad or getting beat at the Emirates which cost Arsenal the title it was their inability to overcome games West Ham, Liverpool, Southampton yeah where they really should have gotten more from it and that would have kept them in a box seat and those games they could have chalked up as, well, we're playing against a side that's got our number but we can still win the league, as has been the case in previous incarnations. It remains to be seen. For me, I, I, I maintain the view that in order for Arsenal to stand still, it was going to be an ask. They've got a different level of expectation upon them this season. They've got a European campaign coming up that can be diminishing for them because if they didn't do well in the group stages, it will no doubt have a blowback effect on a domestic form, but they are spending the kind of money that I, I anticipated that they would spend. And this terminology of mentality monsters is just the mentality of overcoming adversity. And that should be the fundamental requirements of an elite sportsman. So anyway. are you surprised that Gabriel Jesus then, bearing in mind what you've just said, admitted that when he was taken out of a game and wasn't named in the team sheet and somebody else was, he decided in that moment, I'm going to leave? Well, Again, it's about how we characterise it based upon what he said. The first way we characterise it was that he's, he's crying. So he's a crybaby. Right? <laughs> we didn't say that. Yeah, but it's a kind of positioning <laughs> that way, right? So I'm taking it to its natural conclusion. Right? But he's not... If, if, you're, if you're emotional in your reaction because you come from a particular outlook and disposition and your way of express, expressing exasperation is to be emotional about it in private with somebody that you trust... And then you regain your composure and say, right, this is not the right place for me. Because sometimes a change is as good as a break. Sometimes mm. you've got to accept that somewhere, in some people's minds, you're not, the, you're not the answer to the question that they have. And he certainly thrived as soon as he got to Arsenal. And he thrived for a period of time at Arsenal. And he's a very decent player. I'm not sure he's the answer to all of Arsenal's L's because I think they need a 25-goal-a-season striker. And I'm not sure he's it. We've had this conversation about his, about his mental approach, which is playing for Brazil and being prepared or wanting to play out wide rather than playing down the middle, which you would think would be better for him because that's where he's going to score more goals. And, the, and his tacit acceptance of being put into certain positions but with Brazil rather than being more competitive about where he wanted to play. And that might give you an insight into his psyche. But you've also got to assume that 
Arteta priced in not just buying a player that would improve Arsenal, but he bought in a player that he knew psychologically from having worked with him. And if he wants to be successful, he's going to need players that have got the chops to be able to compete with those that have. You know, you look at the backbone and the character and the outlook and the disposition of the Kevin De Bruyne's of the world, and, you know, you can see a very different, not just the fact that he's a, a, a rather unique footballer, but he's got an outlook which assumes winning. It's an assumption in his mind they're going to win. Not an arrogance, it's a confidence, it's a deep-seated uh, he's belief. He's a majorly competitive guy. Yeah, in, in he everything. He doesn't even let his kids win. Well, that's fine. <laughs> uh, you know, that's fine. Those wonderful little sentiments that get deployed out and trotted out as an indication of what people's personalities. But in the world that he operates, in, as far as football's concerned, everything he looks like doing, even when he's walking around the pitch mm. and Arsenal fans were giving him pelters and throwing plastic bottles at him, there's a disposition that he... Exhibited. He's got like a little switch, so he's a really different guy off the pitch than he is on the pitch. I don't think they brought Zinchenko into. I, I thought they brought Zinchenko in because he was a better player and, and I don't more think, versatile player. Yeah, more versatile player. And, and, and again, having come from an environment that Arteta knew, it was an easy go-to. And I don't know if they brought him in to necessarily be a leader. Maybe they brought his. Maybe by having his wife alongside him because she's got a lot to say for herself in the past, isn't she? About mm. about Pep Guardiola when he wasn't getting picked by Pep Guardiola at Zinchenko's wedding. So maybe they thought she'd give them the character. <laughs> but the point is this: is that is that they they were there to make Arsenal's squad bigger, better, and bolder. And to some extent, they've done it. They've got themselves back into the conversation as a proper challenging side. Mm. The question is is now: does that challenging side lay a glove on the European uh, landscape, and does it take the next step? I think it stays where it is at best. Age profile? Is that another uh, another thing? Because we, we, with mentality, with um, being able to control your emotions, that comes with age sometimes as well. Yeah. And, and, and ultimately, I think if you're good enough, you're old enough, aren't you? It's quite, quite, quite a young squad that he's got there, a nucleus of a young yeah, squad. but I think if you're good enough, you're old enough. And we've, always, we've seen in previous incarnations where people have done things with younger groups of players and people anticipated they couldn't. You need a balance. And Arteta will know that. Mm. And I suspect so will Edu know it. Um, you need the right culture of player alongside the right profile of player, alongside the right contractual situation so that you haven't got this constant necessity to re- go, go back to the table and renegotiate every five minutes with players. Um, and you need the right mentality. And all of those things are Arteta's gift, I've if, got he is, s- if he is what he purports to be. I've got to say, I think, especially, I mean, I, I was very impressed with him at the beginning. I had a little dip. I think we were on the same sort of trajectory Arteta, here. Yeah, me, yeah. Too, me too. Uh, we, we thought it was great. Then we thought, well, hold on, what are you doing you here? All talk, yeah. And then you've seen him come back and, and roar into it. I spent a lot of time with him, especially towards the end of last season. I think he's terrific. I, yeah. I, I think he's he, he's got a lot going for him. I think he has upgraded squad. I saw something that someone did on here the other night where they were saying that they don't think they've upgraded the midfield. I mean, they've significantly. What do you think when you say you think midfield. he's terrific? Um, why do you think he's terrific? What is it about him that you his, think is terrific? His manner and the way he deals with adversity himself, the way he um, conducts himself, not only with us but with the players. I think he is. I think he. Which, which, which adversity are you talking about? Frame that in an example. Okay, so for example, when they lost at Manchester City, I spoke to him straight afterwards, and the way he framed the conversation afterwards, what he was going to do with the players, how he was going to do it, I thought was terrific. He completely switched up the narrative in order to change it so that 
it was almost like they'd done a brilliant job. Right. And he was rewarding them rather than... Listen, this is a club that didn't get into the top five the previous year that ended up being within a couple of wins of, of winning the title. And he knew that from very early on he had to manage the expectation. Then he allowed them to believe that they could win mm. the title and instilled the belief that they could win the title. And then when it didn't go their way, he almost sort of... Recalibrated. But he said, no, hold on, let's just have perspective. And he did that brilliantly. And he isn't too emotional, which I quite like as well. His tactics were very good as well. Yeah. There's some stuff that he's still got to learn. He's a very young manager still. Mm. He's, he's not 40 yet. So he, he's got a lot to, to still grasp and learn and, and, and react to. But I think if they invest in him, which they have done, and Edu obviously has seen this, and so yeah. has the ownership, which is why they've given him the power they have. I think they've got every chance of having great success under him. Yeah, and I think I think there's a lot in what you've just said, which is probably right. I think they're all the fundamental... They are the fundamental aspects of being a manager, and that's why... You, you know, we, we sort of reward that as saying it's something exceptional when it should be the basic premise of being a manager, mm. which is give people belief and when something goes wrong, ensure that their belief is reinstalled in them with different, different perhaps, um, uh, reactions to different circumstances, but always about leading people, always about maintaining standards. I think, as you probably do too, I, I don't attribute all of this to the all or nothing stuff, but I think the handling of Aubameyang was a pivotal point yeah. in establishing the principles of what he believed in and he was going to go hard or he was going to go home and he had the luxury of having a board that stood behind him and went okay we'll do this with you we'll cut the, we'll cut our nose off despite our face economically with this player we'll drop kick him out we'll let him go on his way and we'll let you consequence him and I don't just think it was a case of take a big fish in a dressing room and smack him about so the rest of the dressing room knows that you've got that substance I think he just meant it and it was enough and it wasn't going to happen on his mm. watch and I think the dressing room to some extent understood that Yeah, and I think that's and as we know in football dressing rooms, it doesn't take very much to watch these young footballers have, go off the reservation the moment they see the yeah. first chink. And do you know what? It's in, interesting that you say that because one of the key things I thought about which sort of drew me into the fact that he's obviously having a great impact on his players was Nuno Tavares. I spoke to Nuno Tavares about two mm. or three months after um, he, Mikel Arteta had dragged him mm. off at Nottingham Forest after 35 minutes in an FA Cup game. And I thought Nuno Tavares, who then can't come back and scored a goal, whatever, was going to start saying, yeah, well, I've proved everybody wrong, I've done this and that. And all he was talking about was, yeah, well, the manager has helped me so much. Yeah. And, you know, he, he had to make that decision. And the reason he made that decision was all explained to me. I understood it. And he recalibrated me and set me on the on, on the right path. And I got better as a result of it. And I thought, well, if that situation, which was presented to everybody else as it was a you know terrible thing to do, yeah. has worked in this player's favour, then there's, there, there, there's but it's obviously all about communication, about isn't it? It's all about modern day managers. Yeah. I, I think communicate better than some of the historic managers. The throwing of somebody a bib on a Friday afternoon to let them know they're playing or not playing <laughs> is a part of the past now, isn't it? Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan, the podcast which brings you the best of the show. We'll be back on Monday. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.